Hello and welcome to another episode of The Grey NATO, a loose discussion of travel, diving, driving, gear, and most certainly watches. This is episode 250, and wow. it's proudly brought to you by, well, not so recently formed, <laughs> TGN Supporter Crew, and we thank you all so much for your continued support all these episodes. And if you'd like to support the show and aren't already, please visit thegreynado.com for more details. Gosh, uh, 250, we're a quarter of the way to a thousand episodes when will we get there my goodness i don't i don't know if we'll make it to a thousand let's be clear but i also had no <laughs> yeah. idea that we'd make it to 250 yeah uh this is a this feels like kind of a like a bigger number this feels a bit like a hundred like 250 you know yeah we are yeah. one quarter of the way to something like a thousand i'm trying to think if i yeah. listen to any podcasts that have four digits i don't think so Oh, I have I have a couple that I've been listening to like for a very long time. Like my brother, my brother and me is a very long standing like comedy podcast from three brothers. Yeah. Um, and I feel like they're in the 700s. Oh, wow. Granted, I guess we were somewhat slowed down by the fact that for for those of you who who didn't jump in on TGN really early, we used to be every other week. And were for quite a long time until the pandemic. So for the first, what, four and a half years of the show? Yeah, that's true. Uh, we only did every other week. So uh, sometimes I'll see a podcast that I know started years after us and their numbers are higher. And I always go like, we really, <laughs> really kind of slowed the start there with uh, the every other week. But yeah, 250 is uh, amazing. Yeah. Um, I'm super happy with where the show is and where the community is and the rest of it. So I, I really couldn't be, couldn't have imagined that this is where we would be even after 250 episodes. You know, that's got to be pushing up on 325 hours, maybe more, probably mm -hmm. more of the show, all, all things yeah. concerned, which is uh, yeah. which is pretty fun. And then, yeah, it, it's also kind of cool because this is not only episode 250, but it's also uh, Film Club Volume 10. So it's I think it's our longest standing sub franchise, <laughs> uh, <laughs> if we're going to give it such a such a silly name. But it's a good one uh, to run because... We're recording this kind of during the first week of the summer break, and this will cover us for uh, Jason's summer break. I got the timing wrong on the two weeks that I picked to have off. Uh, it covers my vacation, but uh, not Jason's. I had it shifted by one week. Uh, so this way, this episode will come out uh, the first week back from our vacation, but it'll be kind of not that heavy in terms of like watch news. If, if some insane watch news happens after August 8th, my apologies. We'll get to it in episode 251. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's, it seems like uh, what this this episode won't run for another three weeks. So yeah, our, our chit chat section's a bit a uh, bit of a moot point. I mean, by the time yeah. uh, we, you know, if we did a weather report here, it'd be more summary. And chances are, the next mm -hmm. time we record, it's going to be. Uh, hate to say it, you know, it's going to be like Labor Day week or something, end of summer. But we won't we won't talk about that. Yeah, yeah, I can't I can't think about it. I was I was out with some friends recently, and I just said, you know, we're we're closer to snow than we are oh. like the start of good. Yeah, it, you know, it's it's too much. It's kind of yeah, uh, the summer summer's blown by, which I suppose is how, how you want it to go. When people are listening to this episode, you will be in Ecuador, just speaking of, uh, you know, kind of warmer climates. But I guess what is the, the sort of scenario there? I think you said last week that it's a bit on the chilly side this time of year. Yeah, that's what uh, that's what the the guys from the Manta Trust told me. They said, you know, pack a fleece and, and, a, mm -hmm. and a light jacket because um, it's it's winter in the Southern hemisphere. So that that's where I'll be barely in the Southern hemisphere. But, uh, yeah, we'll see. I mean, I looked at the weather and it doesn't look, it's not exactly winter as we know it here. So I'm, I'm, I mean, I don't want to get overconfident, but I don't think I'll be, I don't think I'll be that cold. Um, but we'll see. So yeah, I mean, I'll be, 
I'll be there when you're listening to this episode. If you're listening to it on the first day it comes out, um, you can certainly hit up my Instagram if you want any uh, kind of photos or kind of little short reports from from the field from where I am. Mm-hmm. Um, but otherwise, we'll uh, we can certainly talk about about that trip and and your trip uh, to Mexico uh, in episode two fifty one, which will be uh, at the end of August. Very nice. Yeah, absolutely. Looking forward to that. And the other thing that we will have towards the end of August is more pins yeah. for the uh, summer bundle. So if you have your order in for the summer bundle, currently we've paused ordering so that we don't end up with more orders than we have stock. Uh, the numbers are quite low, so we may turn that back on to uh, finish out the run once you're back from Ecuador, Jason. But right now we're kind of in a holding pattern waiting for a few pins. They should arrive like in the next 10 days from when we're recording this. So for everybody who is waiting, one, we appreciate your patience, of course. And two, you should have uh, more movement on your package come towards the end of August, early September. Yeah, should be able to clean, clear out the uh, the basement uh, once and for all um, Yeah, when I'm back. I, I, I spent yesterday kind of prepping. I loaded a bunch of FedEx pouches with the printed labels and kind of staged everything so that, that when I come back uh, and, and those pins are in hand, it'll be pretty quick to to get the, the packages put together and then run off to, to FedEx and, and get everybody nice. their, their bundles. So yeah, thanks everybody for the orders. And, uh, as always, if, if you have a question about your order or if you've received an order and something's amiss, uh, do just write to us at the graynado, uh, at gmail.com. Or, um, if you're on our Slack community, you can uh, shoot me a DM there as well. So for sure. Well, nice. You want to jump into some risk check before we jump further into some films? Yeah, definitely. I've been kind of wearing this uh, Tag Heuer Super Professional quite a bit lately. I've sort of been swapping that nice. around with that Zodiac Seacron that I've got on loan mm-hmm. from from Zodiac, and I I kind of can't can't take this uh, Super Professional off. It's for for a thousand meter water resistant watch. It's surprisingly comfortable. You know, a lot of times these deep diving watches are are kind of heavy chunks, but this one um, they manage to kind of keep it fairly slim and light, and it wears really nicely on the bracelet. So. Yeah, that's what I've got on. But you know, who's to say what by the time this episode goes live, I'll have on my wrist might be a might be a Carl Bucherer because uh, that's who's underwriting this uh, Manta Trust trip. Sure. If if I get a loaner on that trip, or um, who knows? I mean, I'm, I'm, I haven't decided which watch I'm actually going to wear from here to there. So um, all will be told in uh, in episode two fifty one. How about nice. you? I like it. Yeah. Yeah, this week uh, I'm, I've actually just kind of pulled the Scurfa MS twenty two from the watch box. I dug out all my watches uh, having now fully integrated into the new home. So uh, I've been working on a couple stories here that needed some of the watches from my my own sort of set and dug up the Scurfa and wore that for the last couple days. Uh, the uh, MS-23 has been announced, so it's like a, a blue version with a, a higher-end, high-accuracy quartz movement. Pretty exciting, all things concerned. I can definitely see that that'll be a, a very popular sort of model. And, and I love the idea of having a blue one, especially because the Pelagos is black. And, and in some ways, they're fairly similar watches at least yeah. like in, in terms of what they attempt to do mm-hmm. and uh yeah had the scurf on just really enjoyed it great sort of solid titanium dive watch i mean we've we've talked a ton about them i love the ms specifically for the fully graduated bezel which yeah. i think is a, a huge win for bezel design in general and lets the watch stand out a little bit but uh, the 22 is a black black and I've got it on a NATO and it's just a, a really nice summer watch that I can do anything with. You know, we were at the cottage for 10 hours. We went antiquing and all that kind of stuff. So we did a handful of stuff this weekend and and it, uh, it always just kind of fits in and it disappears on wrist despite being, you know, it's not like a small watch necessarily. It's kind of 
kind of on the thicker side and uh, it, it wears nicely and obviously being quartz keeps great time. Yeah. No stress. Yeah. Yeah. yeah good choice. All right. Yeah. Well, let's uh, let's jump into to Film Club Volume 10. You know, I, for, before we get started, I thought it was kind of poignant or significant, I guess, or timely or however you want to put it, um, that the news came through yesterday that William Friedkin died um, at age, I think, 87. And mm-hmm. he's uh, he's featured in one or two film club choices we've done. We did uh, certainly Sorcerer. Definitely Sorcerer. And uh, did we do French Connection yet? If not, it, it will be in the future, I'm sure. I don't think so, but I think it could make it. Hey, I mean, if yeah. we do enough of these, the I'm sure The Exorcist will eventually land as well. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, Freaking yeah. was a talent and uh, had yeah. a great life and, and made certainly a lot of uh, fantastic films. And if you haven't seen Sorcerer, Oof, which was yeah. a past pick, yeah, now's your time to do it and you've got a great reason to do so. Speaking of past picks, uh, if you want to be able to see all of the picks featured in all the past film clubs, we do have a letterbox collection, which was set up by Kyle Martin. Uh, big thanks to Kyle for setting that up and updating it. I, I checked it recently and it was updated for volume nine. So I, I figured Kyle probably managed volume 10. And again, thanks for that. But uh, you can hit the link in the show notes to see all the films that we've mentioned over the past nine volumes. But why don't uh, Jason, why don't you kick it off with your first pick for volume 10? Sure thing. Gosh, you know, I'm going to kick this off with a, a film. I think you and I were both surprised hadn't been mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is Ronan. I mean, it, it feels like kind of a quintessential sort of viewing uh, piece for, for TGN and for our audience. I, I, I feel like we've talked yep. about it a lot or it, it comes up a lot. I mean, people, it, it's almost this, um, uh, I don't know, like, like, like a rite of passage for, for a lot of people to, to see Ronan. I mean, there's everything from, uh, you know, a great set of, of actors. You've got, uh, De Niro, of course, you've got, um, Sean Bean, uh, who, who mm-hmm. plays, uh, such a great role in that movie. Um, and, I, and, uh, Jean Reno play, plays a, a nice role in that film as well. Uh, the setting is great. The car chases, there's that Audi S eight that, that plays very significantly in, in one of those uh, car chase scenes. And I don't know, there's just a lot going on in this film. It's, uh, it's from the year 1998. I didn't realize it was that long ago, but, um, I, I don't think it's one of those movies that probably got a lot of critical acclaim, uh, at the time it was out. And, and it's certainly like an action adventure sort of, you know, it's hard to kind of put it in a box because, you know, try to explain kind of to anybody what the plot involves or kind of what, what <laughs> I think the question that always arises is what's in this case that everybody's trying to, to, to get, um, during this movie. That's kind of the MacGuffin of the film. Um, right. This, this mysterious sort of uh, suitcase or, or case that has something in it and everybody's kind of seeking this. And that leads to all of these, um, these crazy uh, chase scenes and sort of, um, tense moments. Um, yeah. But I, I think it's just it's a it's a, a nicely shot movie. It's uh, it's just fun to watch, and and it's got some great sort of uh, lines that people like to remember. Like, for instance, "What color is the boathouse at Hereford?" Sure, um, it's kind of a <laughs> classic sort of meme from that that film. But uh, yeah, this is this is the kind of movie that that in my mind is is like 1998. This is like peak 90s for sort of an action thriller with a European <laughs> element. Yeah, you know this movie couldn't wouldn't almost make sense after like born existed mm, true. which i think took a lot of concepts that are in these films the, yeah. the european connection the car chasing uh all that kind of stuff um i i want to make sure that we stick to some format here where we do do the the sort of log line for it so a freelancing former u.s intelligent agent tries to track down a mysterious package that is wanted <laughs> by the irish and the russians that's so vague yeah it's almost almost not helpful <laughs> <laughs> but the the movie is about intrigue and trust 
and bad guys do working on their own against a, a number of sort of um, governmental agencies, <laughs> yeah, like- even bad, arguably even worse people. <laughs> It, it has that it has that sort of thing that I, I would say they did even better in Ocean's Eleven, where you have sort of a, a heist, a crew, sort of thing, and everybody has their own personality. Yeah, and it's a it's kind of it's a lot about how these people are interfacing and whether or not they even trust each other, or if they're just kind of hired guns, aka Ronins, that sort of thing. It, it it's a it's an interesting and really really fun movie. Uh, it's not a perfect film by any stretch, uh, but I do think this is one that that absolutely should be in. I'm glad we made it in the top 10 or in the original 10, you know, film clubs. Yeah. John Frankenheimer, an incredible cast. Uh, I, I think this is a really good one and it has an, an entirely different edge than you would get from like clear and present danger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just like I don't think Robert De Niro would have made a good Jack Ryan. Yeah. I also don't think that like Harrison Ford would have fit in this. There's something you need the kind of menace mm-hmm. that De Niro brings to this, this like quiet, brooding he also doesn't commonly do like movies with a romantic element right right and and you can see that they kind of flirt with that concept here but don't necessarily land it entirely they the movie sticks to kind of its overall tone yeah for the car chases alone this is this should be on your list yeah it's a great one yeah and i i didn't realize that david mamet was one of the writers i mean he's kind of a well-known playwright and and then you've got Stellan Skarsgård in the cast and, and Jonathan Price and I mean it's it's mm-hmm. um yeah it's it's excellent and I, I think you're you're dead on when you talk about De Niro's role in this movie I think I think what's sort of delicious about his role in this movie is you know he's he's a bit of an anti-hero he's you're not quite sure who the good guy is in this movie but mm-hmm. um his way of kind of talking to people and, and getting things done is it, you kind of relish um kind of his cleverness and I, and I think uh, he does it really well in this movie. So yeah, it had to, had to be on the list, I think. And, I, and I'm glad it finally made it in. Yeah, that's a good one. Great pick. I uh, highly recommend everybody check out Ronan. Great pick. I'm going to follow up with one with a movie that came out just a year later. And I'm not sure if that makes any sense, like in, in the lineage of, of, you know, 1998 to 1999. And that's one I, I recently rewatched and it's the talented Mr. Ripley. Mm from again from 1999 um if you want to talk about another movie with like a really incredible cast yeah goodness sakes right so this is um anthony Mangella's film and the lead in this is matt damon he plays tom ripley which is a, a character from a series of books basically a sort of i don't know would you go as far as sociopathic i guess when you get to the end of this film kind of yeah 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 but just a con artist a, a liar a grifter uh an impersonator so the film features Tom Ripley being sent by uh, Jude Law's father, Dickie Greenleaf's father, to find Dickie in Italy. And so you have Jude Law is in Italy with Gwyneth Paltrow and Kate Blanchett and Philip Seymour Hoffman. And they're all just kind of being rich kids in the 50s and, you know, living it up. They've got the sailboat. They've got the cool house. They're going and checking out jazz. And it, it's this life that clearly Tom Ripley wants to be a part of. Mm-hmm. And it's about him sort of inserting himself into their lives with a series of ever more complicated lies and, you know, forgeries and, and things like that. And then, of course, there's a turn at some point in the film where things go worse. Yeah, uh, It goes from being kind of weird to dangerous. And there's, I don't know of any other movie like this, which is what I really like about it. It's really beautiful. The people in it are beautiful. The places where they are are beautiful. The writing is incredible. The way that it's told is creepy, but somehow feels like human, like like a real story. 
Um, and that probably links back to the quality of the books yeah. and, and, and the translation therein. I think Matt Damon is incredible in this. I, I don't know of a bad Jude Law performance, but this definitely isn't it. Gwyneth Paltrow is great. I mean, it's Philip Seymour Hoffman, and I can't quote the line because it's incredibly vulgar. Um, when he shows up at the first point in the film, when <laughs> when Freddie Miles shows up in this beautiful little alpha, but it is one of the most like kind of shocking and excellent first lines for a character in a film. <laughs> I would have to bleep almost the entire thing <laughs> if uh, if I were to were to go for it. But uh, I, I love this movie. I think it's a great one. I just just watched it recently with my wife, and she enjoyed enjoyed it as well. It's one of those ones where it, it, the first two thirds of it have a different pace than the final, like where a lot of the, you know, let's say checks start to bounce yeah. for the the Tom Ripley vibe of it all. But it's a it's a good one for sure. Yeah, yeah, this is a good pick. And I haven't watched this in, gosh, over a decade. So um, I, I, you've in, in inspired me to, to check it out again. I mean, I think it's uh, it's a great cast. And, you know, it's one of these movies. I, Mengele was kind of at the height of his powers then. I mean, he had, he had done... Um, the English patient and some others. And, and, and then with this cast and that setting, and this movie often comes up as sort of a, um, for those that are into kind of style, I think this movie kind of stands out as well. I mean, the way it was filmed and, you know, the cars and the setting and everything else, but also, you know, everything from the, the clothing and everything is very classic. Definitely. Um, yeah, yeah, it's a, that's a, that's a really good one. Good pick. Yeah. A super fun one. One I really like uh, quite a bit. It, it's definitely a creepy, weird, kind of troublesome movie, but there's so much about it that's like feels li- lived in, I guess. Yeah. Um, and, it, and it has the quality of a of a film that that almost plays out like a stage play, mm-hmm. which I, I also enjoy quite a bit. All right. Well, uh, for my second pick, I'm going to I'm going to creep forward one more year. I don't know how we got on this 1998, 99, and I'm going to go to 2000 um, with uh, Snatch. Guy Ritchie film, you know, I, I think this is classic Guy Ritchie. It's probably like, you know, kind of emblematic of of his style of movies. And I think it it it's kind of a it's an interesting follow-on to to Ronan because, you know, again, you've got this sort of ensemble cast of of a number of very flawed people, heroes, if you want to call them that, anti-heroes, small time crooks, big time crooks, uh, kind of trying to pull off this heist and and actually, you know, steal from other crooks um you've got jason statham brad pitt i mean it's just it, it it's a great cast and and you know what always stands out for the about this movie for me also is um it has a great soundtrack and i think you know we we often don't talk about oh, soundtracks yeah. but this was this was a soundtrack that i remember I, I went out and bought um after seeing the movie i, I think i still have the, like the cd even though i don't even own a cd player anymore it, it was just a stylish film and i think it sort of played on this uh you know, there was this kind of era, you know, right around this kind of the early 2000s where, um, you know, Britain was sort of enjoying this uh, sort of uh, upsurge in, in interest in kind of British culture and, and British films and, and things like that. And I, I feel like this movie was very, it felt very English, you know, it felt like, uh, you know, you get all the different accents and kind of the street scenes and and all of that. And uh, yeah, it's a, it's a good movie. It's got, it's certainly got its its level of violence to it. Um, if that offends you, but, um, you know, not, not egregious, I would say. Um, and then it's kind of interwoven with some, some pretty dark humor. Um, so yeah, I, I really quite like this movie. Um, you know, I've, I've watched it several times over the years and I'm probably due for another, another viewing. I, I remember just being obsessed with lock stock and two smoking barrels, which came out just two years before this kind of yeah. kicked off yep. guy Richie's yep. 
you know, um, Cockney kind of aggressive Britishy sort of crime thrillers. Yeah, yeah. Uh, du- you know, with triple, quadruple, <laughs> endless number of double crosses. Yeah, yeah. Uh, throughout throughout the film, um, and and I, I remember seeing Snatch and at the time, like reading a lot about the, the process of Snatch being made and and what it put Brad Pitt through in terms of his character arc and the rest <laughs> of this. And and I think I only ever saw the movie once. Like, oh. I don't think I saw it multiple times so i should probably go back and uh back and and watch it again i i remember a few elements from the film but definitely not the not the total and not not in the same um kind of depth of detail that i would for like Lockstock and two smoking barrels or or even some of the stuff that he did a little later yeah and i i i, I had a hard time deciding which one to kind of include in today's list uh, between Lockstock and two smoking barrels and this one um but yeah, I mean, I, I think you see one, you know, you, you see both kind of back to back or if you're on kind of a Guy Ritchie kick, you know, this was kind of early days of his kind of rise to prominence. And, you know, certainly he's made a lot of movies since and including some recent ones. Um, but, mm-hmm. you know, I, and I think he's kind of matured in his filmmaking or he's changed slightly. But I think, you know, this this really kind of shows the core, kind of the genesis of a lot of his techniques and, and writing and things. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, good pick. Made made me think of another movie, which I won't give away because I think we'll we'll need to put it in volume eleven. <laughs> but I, I had to quickly while you were talking go and check the archive to make sure that we hadn't already included um uh this movie I'm thinking of. So uh-huh. uh, another great British sort of crime thriller that I know we've talked about before on the uh on the show, but uh we'll we'll, we'll hold it off for volume eleven. Yeah. All right, you got something from two thousand one or are we gonna switch around a bit i don't I'm, I'm actually going well what do we got i could go to 2006 but that's <laughs> but it would still break it up so i'm just going to go with the, the next one on my list which actually goes backwards to 1991 i think if i told people to watch 10 movies that were essentially like the perfection of their genre yeah there's no way that i would hit 11 without hitting sounds of the lambs oh yeah oh yeah another one that i was kind of blown away wasn't already on there yeah, true. Uh, like in in the past uh, nine volumes, um, but this is like essentially a perfect crime thriller, and was simply decades, at least a decade ahead of its time, in putting um, a female in the lead, in in a, a scenario where the tone could have gone in any direction. It could have been more. This could have been a lot more. If you think about it, this could have been a lot more like. The Fugitive mm. in mm-hmm. many ways, right? Like more about the procedure of the FBI, more about the team that they were working with, more about the... But instead, it's so much more about serial killers and about the the institution in which they're controlled and maintained. Um, obviously, this has a, a world famous... I, I, that's not even close to a big enough statement performance from anthony hopkins mm-hmm. as hannibal lecter <laughs> it's based on the books by thomas harris which i'm absolutely a fan of uh this was directed by jonathan dem i i think it's it's just an absolutely incredible film start to finish uh beautifully paced jodie foster does an amazing job a huge fan of um scott glenn as jack crawford who's oh, kind yeah. of her boss yeah. at the fbi anytime i get a scott glenn i'm, I'm pretty happy mm-hmm. and I can't say enough good things about this. It's a creepy, troublesome, tough film that has essentially like established what the genre of a serial killer film is. Like it's this and seven basically define like the modern scope of something kind of in this vibe. And I think this movie's so much more delicate and deals with things in a much more modern way than seven. 
there, this this movie feels like it comes from the real world. Seven feels like something pulled from a comic book. It's right. kind of insular. Right. You can't tell what city it's in. It doesn't necessarily link with a certain government out, outfit. Like obviously, sure, police, but that's like very generalized. It feels almost like like it like it purposefully came from fiction. Whereas there's definitely parts of this story that feel super real. Yeah, yeah. And I think the interplay between Jodie Foster and Anthony Hopkins, um, you know, Clarice and Hannibal Lecter. I mean, it's just, that's what stands out for this movie. It's not, um, it's not about um, chase scenes or, or kind of, uh, you know, it doesn't lean too hard on the kind of element of surprise where it's trying to get people to, you know, jump out of their seats. I mean, not until the end. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. But it's what stands out for me looking back, having not seen this movie for many years is, is, is that interaction between the two of them Mm -hmm. and how, creepy that was and and the settings and you know his cell where yep. they keep him and the the masks that they use and and all of this it's um yeah it's 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 a i mean i hesitate to use the word beautiful because it's such a, a dark creepy movie but it's, oh, it's totally. beautifully done yeah 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 yeah, yeah. i'm i'm just i'm just an a, a huge huge fan of this film yeah. i think it uh i can't it's hard to believe that it was in 91 and you watch it and sure like the night vision, the famous night vision elements that those are, those feel a little bit dated. The cops have giant radios instead of phones. <laughs> like, yeah, you know, there, there's, are some things The cars are obviously from the late eighties and that kind of thing. But so much of this, so much of the tone, the execution feels like very, very modern and, and highly done. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a big fan. This is a great movie. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm going to go way back in time for my next pick um, to I like it. kind of, an all-time favorite of mine and one that really made an impression on me when I was, gosh, I think a teenager when I first saw this, and that is Alfred Hitchcock's movie from 1955, To Catch a Thief. That's oh, um, so good. It, it's such a beautifully made movie, and and I absolutely love uh, Cary Grant, and I love Grace Kelly. I mean, I think I fell in love with Grace Kelly when I was in high school because of this movie. It was like, how could someone be that beautiful, like um, sort of fits in perfectly well with kind of the setting. It's, you know, south of France. Um, Cary Grant is just the most debonair, like stylish, the way he delivers lines, the way he walks, the way he looks. I mean, he's just, he's just incredible. And, and you know, what stands out, I mean, this movie, certainly the plot, I love the idea that he's, um, a cat burglar, Mm -hmm. you know, this, this notion of climbing around on roofs in the Mediterranean, um, you know, looking for diamonds while wearing a, you know, cravat sort of knotted around your neck, uh, I mean, it's just, it, there's just, it's got so much going for it. Um, you know, there's a great driving scene. I think, uh, Grace Kelly, if I'm not mistaken, drives like an old alpha when they're out sort of spinning on the, on the windy roads along the Mediterranean and, and the, kind of the interplay between the two characters is their dialogue is beautifully done. There's great chemistry between Grant and Kelly. Um, to me, this is like the height of kind of that mid fifties, you know, there were a few films, you know, in, in the genre. And I think you've got, kind of a, a, a similar vibe um, movie uh, later in your list. But um, it, I don't know, it just uh, just uh, really made an impression on me when I was young. And, and I haven't seen this in a while, but um, it's mm-hmm. it, it, it belongs on the list for sure. Oh, absolutely. This is one of my favorite Hitchcocks. I think it's just simply an incredible film. They do such a great job of telling a story like in a very, it has this linear pace to it, mm-hmm. which I don't think you always get with a movie from the 50s. Yeah. Yeah, um, it just kind of goes nicely. Like I can't, I can't say I can't disagree with anything you said about it. It's so good. It's such a easily watchable, fun, entertaining, cool story from a neat part of the world. 
with some really great people yeah. uh, playing the various roles. So yeah, I, I'm I'm a big fan. And and although I've now forgotten for a couple movies, here's the 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 description from IMDb: A retired jewel thief sets out to prove his innocence after being suspected of returning to his former occupation. <laughs> It's great. Yeah. It's a great movie. Yeah. Solid, solid pick. And I'll follow it up with uh, with my older one as well. Uh, so we're going to go back to 1963 to a movie I watched a lot as I grew up. And it is called Charade. It is a Stanley Donnan film. And the description is romance and suspense ensue in Paris as a woman. Wow. Pop-up ad. Thank you so much, IMDb. <laughs> Romance and suspense ensue in Paris as a woman is pursued by several men who want a fortune her murdered husband has stolen. Whom can she trust? So it's Audrey Hepburn is essentially the the center of this film. The only person whose motives you understand is Audrey Hepburn. Yeah. She's basically being pursued, as the logline says, uh, she's basically being pursued, entertained, grifted by a series of people. Um, basically, everyone she meets, she can't trust because her husband had something with him when he died, and it's not there. They think she has it. She doesn't know who actually has it. It's this really, really, really like kind of tight, entertaining, and at times a little bit goofy sort of thriller. Again, with a great European backdrop, most of it's in Paris, I remember the first press trip I ever went on was with Longines mm. uh, to Roland Garros. Yeah. And while we were in Paris, there was only a few things that I knew I wanted to do. And one of them was to take one of those boat tours yeah. along the river because yeah. they did it in charade. And sure enough, the one night we had like <laughs> dinner on one of those same boats. Oh, nice. And I was like, I was the only nerd there who was like, guys, this is like in charade. <laughs> no one cared. Yeah, yeah. It's fun and light at times. It's scary and creepy at other times. You know, it, it has that man who knew too much, enemy of the state. Uh, you know, th- that vibe of like, or even, I, I, have we ever done where, um, wait, have we ever done Wait Until Dark? We haven't. No. For a past. Oh, so that's another yeah. one of my favorites. Also, Audrey Hepburn. It, it's that the main character, the person that you understand the most, doesn't have all the information they need and they're just. Um, essentially like playing jazz. They're just keeping up yeah. with bad operators, good operators. You don't know who, if you can trust the cops in this or Cary Grant <laughs> or the guys that are like more clearly bad people. Yeah. It's very strongly telegraphed. This is a great movie. I highly recommend it. Yeah, I think, um, you know, we, we had a couple of kind of dark films here um, initially. And I think now we've we've moved into, you know, with To Catch a Thief and Charade. I think if you, if you just want to kind of um, enjoy kind of good old-fashioned kind of mid-century filmmaking i mean these two you can't go wrong i mean such great acting i mean again Cary grant fantastic uh audrey hepburn's right up there with grace kelly i mean one of the iconic yeah. names from from that era and uh yeah just walter uh, Matthau, yeah james coburn yeah george kennedy it's it's a really good <laughs> cast the movie's really fun it doesn't take it's not as serious as ronan certainly not as serious as as a uh, uh, science of the lambs or something like that uh yeah. it, it has this sort of bounce to it that's maybe a little bit more like a um an ocean's 11 mm, mm-hmm. in terms of its overall kind of vibe you can feel happy at happy times you can feel tense during tense experiences it's it's a winner i really like it it's, it was one of my favorites growing up right alongside wait until dark which i'm sure can be in a future film club uh yeah just really nice always and and you know grew up in a small canadian town just dreaming of europe so movies like this really spoke to me yeah yeah good pick all right. Well, 
I am uh, moving forward, sliding the, the timeline forward uh, several years uh, from your pick uh, to 1971. Uh, this was actually the first film that Clint Eastwood directed, um, and it's called Play Misty for Me. Um, you know, Eastwood, it, it almost kind of goes against character for him in, in several ways. He, um, you know, he had this, you know, prior to this, he had done this, the spaghetti Westerns, you know, um, playing the man with no name, uh, you know, the good, the bad and the ugly, etc. cetera. Um, this movie, in this movie, he plays a, a late night jazz radio, uh, DJ. And it's in, it's in California. I think, you know, probably the, the town that he ended up being mayor of Carmel by the sea, I believe, or somewhere around there. Um, and he drives a great old MG like an MGA and, uh, and he plays jazz in the overnight radio and he has, you know, he has a great voice for it anyway. And I, I remember seeing this movie and it made me want to be a late night jazz DJ. And I think it, it, in some weird way, it connected me with when people talk about podcasting and, you know, doing TGN and some people say, Oh, you know, your voice is great. You put me to sleep. I always think to myself, well, you know, I, I'm going to take that the right way. I think like, I always wanted to be like a late night jazz DJ. Um, and, and I'm getting my, you know, a small taste of it doing, doing TGN, um, talking about watches and movies and things, but <laughs> the movie itself, the plot of it, uh, now that I've kind of gone on about his role in it. Um, the, the, it's, it's a kind of a, a suspenseful, it's not really a horror film, but there's a woman who calls in uh, almost every night when he's on the radio and requests that he play a song called Misty, an Errol Garner song. Um, and she says, play Misty for me. And he develops a relationship with this woman and they start dating um, and it goes wrong. She turns out to be um, more than he can handle something that, that he didn't bargain for in this relationship. And it, it kind of turns dark and, uh, it's, it's a suspenseful film. It's, uh, stylishly, stylishly shot. It's got a great uh, jazz soundtrack. And like I said, it, 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 you know, a lot about movies and, you know, even some of the ones that we talked about already, the impression that they make on you is different depending on when in life you watch it. And sometimes the significance of a movie has to do with, when, when you see it for the first time or, you know, early days of watching it over and over. And I think for this movie, again, this was kind of formative years for me. You know, I was probably late teens, maybe early twenties when I was just getting started and kind of trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. And it was just sort of, um, I don't know, it was, it was a movie that kind of set me off on a course of different things that I've been interested in and done. And, uh, yeah, I mean, given that Eastwood is, I believe in his early nineties and, and I think he just finished directing his latest film, which is insane. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's kind of interesting to go back to play Misty for me from 1971 and the first movie that he directed, uh, and check it out. Have you ever seen this movie? I've not. No. Um, big Jessica Walter fan though, obviously, uh, Lucille Bluth forever. Um, you know, RIP to, uh, to Ms. Walter, but, uh, I've not seen this. Uh, I, I know my dad's referenced it in the past. It's also fascinating because he directed this and it came out the same year as Dirty Harry. It was a big year for him. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Which I think, I want to say he co-directed Dirty Harry. Uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. But yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm also not sure. Yeah. It sounds good though. Yeah. I, I didn't yeah. actually realize there was there was this sort of um, tension to the film. I didn't really know necessarily what it was about. So yeah. I'm, I'm glad to have one to uh, to check out for my own. Yeah. Maybe put it on put it on the iPad and watch it in uh, in Mexico next week. Yeah, definitely. Or when you're listening to this two weeks ago, right? <laughs> Man, the '70s had some had some good stuff for sure. Sure did. All right, I'm going to go chronologically forward from 1963 to the natural 2006 <laughs> uh, for another one that I'd man, it, it's uh, it's a bit of a broken record at this point, but another one that I kind of thought was on the list, 
And that's uh, The Departed, which is uh, my favorite Martin Scorsese film. Uh, came out in 2006, kind of a stacked everything. This is a Boston cop drama, um, you know, from Scorsese with a truly ridiculous cast. Leonardo DiCaprio, Matt Damon, Jack Nicholson, Mark Wahlberg, Martin Sheen, Ray Winstone, Vera Firminga, Alec Baldwin, Kevin Corrigan. It, it just kind of keeps going. Um, yeah. I've seen this movie several, several times and, and recently a couple more times because of uh, the rewatchables, a podcast from the uh, ringer network and Bill Simmons. And uh, they do a great job kind of breaking down various elements of this and, you know, parts of the movie that work and parts they figure don't. I, I think this is a truly incredible kind of cop drama. I, I don't know again that there's one especially like it. It's it's technically in some ways a remake. Uh some some people in the audience may may take a position on either side of this line, but it's my understanding that it's essentially a remake of a 2002 film from Hong Kong called Infernal Affairs. Huh. And then in some ways it's based on multiple real life characters, most specifically Frank Costello who's played by Jack Nicholson is a, a direct reference to uh, the crime boss Whitey Bulger. Oh right, and yeah. uh, and so that that's kind of the main. It, this is a an exceedingly kind of adult film. <laughs> it's violent. It deals with the worst parts of people's character and repression and post traumatic stress and and the rest of it. But it's also beautifully done. I, I think it's my favorite DiCaprio. That's kind of a tough statement because I'm, I'm a huge fan. Mm-hmm. The extent to which he operates for a, a movie that's a couple, a few hours long, but the, the extent to which he operates like a live wire, like you can just feel the tension, like the electricity of tension coming off of his character throughout this whole film. Yeah. Really, really does. Because a lot of times you see movies that are about a cop or a cop that goes undercover and either they go too deep and it like it kind of aligns with the darker side of their personality and they, they you know, they're in too deep to come out, that sort of thing. Or they deal with things in a more like direct fashion. This movie manages to capture the stress of that scenario from multiple people lying about who they are and then how that plays out in other aspects of their life. Like it's somehow more more human or more complicated storytelling than just I did this so I drink too much at night or or I did this and now I, I you know, I had to go deeper in to prove my willingness to be part of this crime syndicate or whatever. Yeah. And it's it the movie has this unstable kind of fast cut quality to it. Some of the camera work's very strange. Uh, the you want to talk uh, soundtrack? There's some very kind of uncommon use of similar to the same song multiple times. Huh. Um, there's elements of this movie I just absolutely adore. It tells a fairly complicated story of yeah, like an inter interconnected set of lies that all kind of come together uh, towards the end of the film. I I think it's a uh, it's an absolute winner. It's been, again, another one that I haven't seen in a long time. You know, I, I have a tendency, I realize as you're describing this, I don't rewatch a lot of movies. Um, and I feel like I want to start doing that because, like I said, like I said, with Play Misty for me, like, you know, the first time you watch a movie, you're at a certain point in your life and, and it just hits you differently. And I think totally um, this is I think this is this will be one of those movies that I probably watched it in 2006 when it came out and probably not since. I mean, that's, you know, that's close to 20 years. I mean, I think uh it's it's definitely time for a, a reviewing and and what a cast. I mean, I'm just like scrolling through these names and it just goes on yep. and on and on and on. 
Yeah, and everybody whose name you wouldn't necessarily know like enough for us to sit here and list them, you <laughs> yeah. see them and you go, oh, I know that guy. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I know that guy. It's got right. every that guy. They're all yeah. in it. Yeah. <laughs> and as good as, as Damon is in, I mean, Talented Mr. Ripley, let's, let's just stick yeah. to this yeah. episode. Yeah. He is next level in Departed. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah. All of his talents in one film. It's great. Yeah. Yep. Time to time to rewatch that one. Yeah. Not one I would say you sit down and watch with the kids. <laughs> True. Yeah. Uh, it's a pretty tough, super violent, very disturbing at times film with every single, you know, sort of adult theme that it yeah. can have. But if you can, if that's up your alley or, or works for you, I think it's a it's a great one if you haven't seen it yet uh, to check out or or if you haven't seen seen it in since 2006. Yeah. Doesn't feel like it was that long ago, but there it is. Yeah. Yeah. A great, my favorite Wahlberg, definitely, one hundred percent, my favorite Wahlberg. Yeah, I mean, he's he's had his ups and downs, but this this was a high point for sure. All right, what have you got for uh, your final pick? I've got a, my last one is from nineteen eighty four. Um, difficult movie to watch, um, historically significant, um, just a huge movie. Uh, the Killing Fields. Uh, this is a movie based on a true story, um, heavily based on a true story about a journalist named Sidney Schonberg, who teams up with um, a local um, uh, guy in Cambodia, Dith Pran, um, were their real, were their real names. And then they're, they're played by um, Sam Waterston, who's just fantastic in the role and hang nor who plays Dith Pran. And, uh, and they play journalists that are on the ground towards the end of the Vietnam war uh, that is kind of spilled over into Cambodia when Pol Pot uh, is is kind of in his reign of terror, sort of cleansing the population um, uh, via the um, you know the namesake of the movie, the Killing Fields, where he he slaughtered you know millions of people. Um, and Waterston plays this journalist who's across the border in Cambodia, investigating what's going on there with Dith Pran as kind of his local fixer and a fellow journalist. Um, when things just get too dangerous, and Schonberg's you know he has to pull out, um, but Dith Pran is left behind. Um, and, and ends up, um, be, becoming kind of lost in, in, in this, this horror. Um, and then, uh, Schoenberg, you know, kind of takes it upon himself to, to, to try to find him and get him out. Um, and it, it's, it's just a, an incredible, um, incredible movie, you know, 84, you know, Waterston, he, I, I love seeing him. He, he has this distinctive face and his voice and his delivery. I mean, I, I just love him as an actor. Um, mm-hmm. and, and to see him in, in one of these early films, uh, as a much younger person, I mean, he plays the role perfectly. Um, he has that sort of, um, that ability to kind of ramp up emotion and, and kind of show his, his, you know, displeasure and, and sort of in, in a very realistic sort of way. Um, John Malkovich is in this film, Julian Sands, uh, who sadly, uh, died while hiking in California earlier this year. Um, he's in the movie. I always have liked him, Spalding Gray. It's it's a chilling movie. I think it won uh, several awards. Um, you know, there, there's a book that it's based on. Uh, it, it's it's really well done. It's again, it's it's difficult to watch because of the subject matter, but it's a uh, it's a really really good movie. Yeah, I don't uh, I don't know this one. I mean, I know it by name, but I've never yeah. seen it. Uh, yeah, definitely looks like a, a heavy topic. I, I definitely have uh, read into the story behind it in the past, but haven't haven't seen the film. I kind of go through these phases where you know I like these movies that are sort of about uh, war correspondence or you know photojournalists kind of behind enemy lines, whether it's in, you know, Vietnam or, or world war two, or there's a, a film with 
uh, early film of Mel Gibson, The Year of Living Dangerously, that I, I was tempted to put on the list as well, but um, another kind of movie kind of in, in a similar vein, but uh, I think this one stands head and shoulders above. So yeah, check it out. And that rounds out your five. To round out my picks, here's my fifth, and it's 2018's Annihilation, which is by oh. Alex Garland. And wow. it's a, a science fiction movie that uh, I've probably seen at this point, I don't know, maybe not double digits, but close. Wow. Okay. Uh, it's Natalie Portman, uh, Jennifer Jason Lee, Tessa Thompson. It's got uh, Oscar Isaac, and uh, it's it's a pretty good cast. It's it's a very strange film. Um, I'm <laughs> fairly certain it's based on a book. The uh, tagline or the the description is: a biologist signs up for a dangerous secret expedition into a mysterious zone where the laws of nature don't apply. Hmm. So it's somewhere on the eastern seaboard. Um, essentially, like a comet or a, a meteor or whatever hits. Um, I guess that makes it a meteor hits the Earth, and slowly from the point of of the the impact there's like a bubble like a shimmer yeah kind of like a dome yeah that emanates outward and anything inside the bubble its dna refracts or changes huh you know i've read a lot of background on this and and you know there's there's kind of multiple layers to what they claim the statement is about it's a uh, you know it refers mostly to cancer and what happens to um a cell uh, that is afflicted with cancer. Hmm. And then on top of that, it's about kind of the cancer of lies or, or mistrust between, you know, people in their day-to-day lives. Uh, it's this very complicated story that that sort of overlaps uh, a sort of action element of them, a group of women going into the shimmer to find people, to find answers. Uh, Natalie Portman's husband is Oscar Isaac, and he had gone in as a military operative before her. Um, she didn't know where or why, but that's was later connected to that. And it, it has some horror elements. It has some thriller elements, and then it has some fairly deep sci-fi towards the end of it. I really like this movie, but it's strange and, and weird and not really like anything else I've seen before. And if you know Garland stuff, that's kind of in some ways, if you could be par for the course for not being par. <laughs> That's how he operates. Yeah. Um, I found the men to be less interesting than this, but if you know Ex Machina, yeah, with uh, Alicia Vikander and uh, Oscar Isaac as well, and Domino Gleason, a fantastic film. It it follows that line in terms of there's this like kind of background hum of just general dread throughout this whole film mm, uh, yeah. that I find kind of addictive, and I, I really like the aesthetic and and what they establish in this film as far as the sort of metrics of what happens inside the shimmer you're there's some genuinely terrifying things that happen in this film uh that are it's you know gory and terrifying and scary and and the rest of it so all you know all, all that on on the table in front of you but if if you enjoy something in this vibe this sort of loose ends not a lot of answers kind of scary exploration I, I think it's a, a a great one to add to the list and i think garland does a, a beautiful job with this i would argue that his my favorite work of his is um a show that he did called devs oh okay a few years ago yeah, yeah. which i genuinely adored um essentially uh, uh, like a silicon valley sort of next wave of an apple style company creates a computer that can do something that other computers couldn't do or can't do sure um, and it's it's a really fabulous story as well. But I, Annihilation, as far as his films go, is, is is my favorite. 
huh. uh, it's a it's a really cool thing. Uh, I, huge I'm, Natalie Portman fan. Yeah, I'm, I, I've never heard of this movie. Um, I did like Ex Machina and the fact that you've mm-hmm. watched it almost double digits in five years of it being out. That's saying something. So it was my go to airplane movie for a while. Ah, okay. <laughs> I usually shy away from kind of sci fi stuff, but whenever I give in and watch them, I, I'm usually pleasantly surprised, especially if it comes recommended from somebody. So I will uh, I'll add it to the list. I think for at least the first two acts, maybe would say the first two and a half, mm-hmm. the movie basically has the same tone as The Thing. Oh, okay. Which is a favorite of mine. Yeah. So it has horror elements, but a lot of it is about the le- the leering sort of background quality of the terror. Yeah, yeah. Than it is necessarily like direct. There's both just like in The Thing and, and in this, there's like more direct terror. But yeah, I, I think it's it's in my mind, it it, exi- it sits in a similar world as as The Thing. Yeah which I love and was a, a past film club pick. Yeah. Sadly, no Kurt Russell in this. <laughs> and so that was uh, my fifth. Uh, Jason, for your five, you went with Ronan from 1998, Snatch from 2000, To Catch a Thief, 1955, The Killing Fields, 1984, and finally, Clint Eastwood's Play Misty for Me, 1971. And you had The Talented Mr. Ripley from 1999, Silence of the Lambs, 1991, Annihilation, 2018, the Departed, two thousand six, and Charade, nineteen sixty three. Quite a that's a solid ten. Quite a ten. We always yeah. say this, but yeah, pretty solid ten. Yeah, yeah. I would say it was a one of our better film clubs. I think we've 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 had a, a mixed bag of kind of sleepers and and classics. I I feel like this one we hit some some real classics that that should be on everybody's list. So really good one. I think so. I, there's also weirdly like some pairings I think we could draw out between these two. Like there's something that kind of aligns, at least, I guess it's the part of the world with Talented Mr. Ripley and Ronan. Yeah, true. Yeah. Right. Loosely takes place in a, in a similar part of you know, so the, the Riviera. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, Snatch and then we, we mentioned Lockstock, Two Smoke and Barrels. You could, you could do both of those together. Mm-hmm. I think To Catch a Thief and then Charade would be like an excellent <laughs> yeah. sort of one, two. I want to say Charade was one of Cary Grant's last movies. And I think in some ways it would have been fairly early in Audrey Hepburn's career. I think the Delta in their age is yeah, he was pretty remarkable yeah. in that film. Yeah. yeah, I think that's that's 10 solid ones. There's at least a couple on here that I haven't seen in a long time or in the case of uh, The Killing Fields and Play Misty for me at all. Uh, so we'll have to uh, check those out. But uh, we're coming up on an hour here. So do you want to uh, put a bow on it with some final notes? Sure, yeah. Um, I've been on this quest for, uh, <laughs> I guess I got a a bit of a bug for um, rugby shirts. Um, you know, I used to, I, I used to wear them a lot. I had, I had some old ones. I had a Patagonia one for years. I had a Land's End one for years. Both, you know, both brands make a great rugby shirt, but I'd gotten rid of them uh, for one reason or another over the years. And and with cooler weather ahead and, and, you know, just kind of seeing some, some pictures lately of, of rugby shirts, I was like, I need another rugby shirt. So I went on to our Slack community and I, asked for feedback from people to recommend some different brands. And I got a lot of recommendations and I've actually ordered no less than three rugby shirts from three different places. Um, and one of them has arrived. The other two are due to arrive at some point this week. I'm not sure I'll keep all of them. I kind of wanted to try them. It's, it's one of those things I think with, I don't know if you like rugby shirts, but like they're, there's a quality to them that like when you feel them, you know that it's, it's a keeper or it's what you were looking for. And some feel a little too, thin or fashiony. Um, so I was kind of picky in that regard. But, uh, the first one that, that I got was from a company called Withernot, which I had never heard of, 
Um, but I kind of like their vibe and, and they specialize in these kind of retro style rugby shirts with a specific sort of leaning towards um, that era, I, I guess you'd, you'd say it was like 80s, 90s, when rugby shirts, they sort of straddled the line between sort of prep style and kind of dirtbag climbing culture, if, if that, oh, <laughs> sure. that intersects. Yeah. You know, if you, if you kind of read through the, the Patagonia history and with Yvonne Chouinard, he, you know, he pioneered or, or kind of adopted the use of rugby shirts and, and like corduroy trousers um, for, for climbing clothing because he, he couldn't find anything that would kind of hold up to the wear and tear of, of rock climbing. And, and so he became a real fan of rugby shirts and that's how Patagonia started selling them. Um, unfortunately I couldn't find one um, available from Patagonia because I know they make good ones. So I was directed towards whether and they have a, a, a big number of sort of retro styled, um, well-made, uh, rugby shirts. And the one I ordered is, is the one called the blue Ridge. Um, which isn't a traditionally striped, you know, when you think of a rugby shirt, you think of kind of the traditional hoops, uh, of, of alternating colors. Um, I did order a couple of those from a couple of other companies, but, but with this one, I went with the Blue Ridge, which is sort of this, um, I guess in, in Land Rover, um, parlance, it's, it's the color Marine Blue it kind of matches my series three, um, in the color, but then it has, uh, kind of a, a thicker band of alternating stripes near the chest. Um, and so far, you know, I, I, having just gotten it and, and the weather being too warm to kind of wear it comfortably, I, I haven't really worn it much, but it's, it has the right heft to it. It has that sort of, I think it's like a 10 or 12 ounce cotton sort of twill, um, soft, but, but thick enough that I can tell it's going to last a good long time. It's got the rubber buttons. Nice. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm excited for it. Um, and if you're a rugby shirt fan, uh, you know, I, so far I, I like it and, and it's a cool company to check out. Sounds like you, you're definitely going as deep as you can into the rugby shirt <laughs> yeah. realm as a fun follow-up to, uh, yeah, I guess it was last episodes or maybe the one before that, the uh, chambray yeah, right. uh, shirts from uh, the, or the history of the, the Navy chambray shirts <laughs> right. is always a fun one. So I yeah. think that's good. We're definitely going into the shirt realm these days. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Good luck uh, with the other ones arriving. I hope they also uh, kind yeah. of offer a, a, a take on it that you enjoy. Yeah. Uh, so my pick this week is actually a set of speakers that I bought for my desk. Uh, there's been some interest in the desk setup on the Slack. So, uh, I went through a various setup. I think I've got a setup here that I'm fairly happy with. And while some stuff like the CalDigit TS4, which is a Thunderbolt dock that I bought to connect all the monitors and everything else that you would expect to be pretty good because it's very expensive. Yeah. Um, on the other hand, I, I wanted a set of small speakers and I mean like actually not that big for my desk. It's not a huge desk. I don't want to use, I don't want a desk that takes up the entire room. I also, you know, probably we'd say seven times out of 10, we'll just use headphones. Mm -hmm. But I wanted the ability when I'm shooting watches on the other side of the office or moving around to just have some podcast or music or, or whatever in the open air. And then there's a chance that I would want to say edit a TGN without wearing headphones occasionally. I haven't yeah. really worked my way up to that. I, I feel fairly specific about it. But I wanted a set of small monitors. And the truth is, if you're talking like actually small, there aren't that many. Um, and a lot of them that do exist that are small are still really quite expensive. And when it comes to speakers, I really like starting as low as I feel I could and move up. Yes, this is the most expensive way to do it. Your, your smartest option is to buy whatever's at the absolute top of your budget. So let's say I maybe was considering spending up to $1,000 on on 
monitors or speakers for my desk, I should probably just go with the Kef LSXs, which I've owned in the past and are really nice and would work perfectly. Instead, I looked around at what was roughly the same size as the LSX, but significantly less money. Due, due to aesthetic reasons and, and cost and the rest of it, I, I really started to look at these speakers from a company called PreSonus, P-R-E-S-O-N-U-S. And they make an heiress line of like home monitors, like not super high end, certainly. Actually, these are pretty uh, entry level, uh, but they make ones with a 3.5 inch uh, design. So that's the largest speaker in the pair of the two diaphragms is 3.5 inches. So it's called the Aris E 3.5 studio monitor. And I mean, they're currently on sale on PreSonus's website in the US for $90. I've never heard a set of speakers for 90 bucks. It sounds like this, to be fair. Wow. They're not better than a $500 set of speakers, but yeah. given the size, the fact that you don't have a subwoofer or or anything else, to just have a nice, attractive-looking set of speakers on the desk, they're powered, so you don't need a monitor. They just take a headphone jack, or you can go balance. So if you're dealing with audio interfaces and, and that sort of thing, you can use a balanced input, which is typical to a monitor. But they have a volume button on the front, aux in, a headphone jack, and a power switch. Very simple, not that heavy. I think about six inches deep, maybe seven inches tall. Really a nice size for a medium-sized desk. And I've just been really impressed by them. They're not going to blow you away by any factor. They're a 3.5-inch, $100 speaker. But for those two things, for the size of the speaker and the price, if you're looking for a desktop set of speakers or something for maybe a, a workspace or even on, on a bookshelf in, in the right sort of room, yeah, I, I'm very impressed by what, what you get for $100. Yeah. I mean, and I think, you know, you already have like a hi-fi setup in your living room, right? I mean, oh, yeah. you, you, yeah, so, yeah. so for something in the, in the office, I mean, I think size is obviously a consideration and these, these seem compact enough. Um, it's kind of, I guess you're trying to balance, you know, size and desktop real estate with, uh, with sound quality. So, yeah. Cause it, the other option would be like, put my desk in a different part of the room, pull it out from the wall by a foot yeah, and oh, then yeah. put speakers on a stand behind them. Oh, sure. Yeah. The room isn't that big. Like I'm, I'm, I have a what I consider to be a very large office. It's several times the size of the closet I had in Vancouver, for example. <laughs> yeah, but it needs to be sort of a mixed use space, and I didn't want it to be all desk. Right. And even then, uh, yeah, if I spend a thousand dollars on the speakers that I normally use headphones, I'm wearing headphones yeah. right now. I'll, yeah. I'll use headphones for to edit this episode most likely. I mean, like once I do the plugins and the, and the, the quote unquote, the edit is done, I think I could do the rest on these speakers. Mm -hmm. Like once I'm comfortable with the mix, yeah, then it would just be actual the cutting that, that goes through the edit. But yeah, I think for the money, if, if you're in the market for a set of speakers and you want to go, let's call it the a distinct step up from something like, you know, a Logitech that you'd get at Best Buy. Yeah, these should be on your radar. I'm just, I'm, I'm impressed. I, I wouldn't say they're great if you really like bass heavy sort of music or mm -hmm. like a big thump because they're, they're little speakers. Yeah, but otherwise, I'm, I'm super impressed. They work great for spoken word, which is most of my listening. Yeah, and you've been posting some photos of your, your new desktop setup in your, in your new house uh, on Slack, and it's kind of interesting to see the evolution. It's, it's inspired me to kind of revisit uh, my setup, which is pretty slapdash. And I don't have speakers, but, and I don't listen to really music while I'm working. Mm -hmm. um, I find it a bit distracting when I'm writing, but I do, if I just want to like catch a 10 or 20 minute YouTube video or something, I, you know, it's pretty sad, but I just kind of, I'm watching it on a big monitor and then I'm just using the speakers, the built-in speakers on the MacBook. So this would be a nice option. Yeah, for the for the money, a huge step up from something like that, for sure. 
All right. Well, there we have it. Um, kind of our uh, stopgap uh, episode, of kind of an evergreen one with the film club. Um, mm-hmm. We were glad to be able to get this one in the hopper and, and um, certainly out while I'm I'm out of the country uh, the week that it goes live. But uh, yeah, there we go. Film Club Volume 10. There it is. Yeah. Next week, we'll be back with, uh, I assume, an episode with all sorts of reports from our trips. Uh, You know, we're recording this before either of us are (laughs) going on those trips. So we're going (laughs) to operate under the assumption that they went very well and we had a very good time. (laughs) And we'll talk about it in 251 along with any new watch news and, and the rest of it. So... As always, thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to subscribe to the show notes, get into the comments for each episode, or even consider supporting the show directly, which could grab you a new TGN signed NATO, please visit thegraynato.com. Music throw to Siesta by Jazzar via the free music archive. And we leave you with this quote from Orson Welles, who said, The cinema knows no boundary. It is a ribbon of dreams. 